Acts chapter 10, and we'll begin in verse number 1. And uh, this is probably a familiar passage of Scripture to, to those of you that have been saved for a while, been in church for a while. In fact, every time uh, the Bible's opened it up, opened up, it ought to be a familiar passage of Scripture. And it's familiar simply because you've heard it, you've read it over and over and over again. And you know the amazing thing about the Word of God is no matter how many times you hear a particular passage, you always get something fresh out of it, don't you? That's the power of the Word of God. Beginning in verse number 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, He was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells those who are saved and the Holy Spirit who speaks to the hearts of those that are lost. And Father, I pray that your word tonight would be used by the Holy Spirit to prick our hearts, to goad us, to move us, to convict us, to making choices that must be made, that need to be made in order for our lives to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When this was written, it's about ten years after the day of Pentecost. 
And though the, only, uh, the, the early church has made great strides, and they have reached a lot of people with the gospel, and many have been saved, they are at this particular time, 10 years after Pentecost, they're making absolutely no effort at all in trying to reach the Gentiles. The 3,000 that were saved at Pentecost were all Jews. A couple of weeks later, 5,000 were saved, or I should say a couple of chapters later, 5,000 were saved, they were all Jews. So why weren't they trying to reach others? Why weren't they trying to reach the gospel, uh, with the gospel, to Gentiles? You might say, well, you know, they were never taught to do that. That may be true. But what were they taught? They were taught to ignore and to hate Gentiles. The bottom line is they were prejudiced. They were prejudiced. That's why they didn't want to reach out. They thought they were the upper crust. And they thought the Gentiles were the scum of the earth. They were lower than the lowest. See? They have been raised now. These Jews have been raised uh, as a very exclusive group. But Jesus came to break down the walls of division, and yet most of the Jews still hated Gentiles. And they thought of them as a lower life form. They really did. Many countries today have what they call a caste system. And, and there are those in the upper caste, and they look down upon others. They're not, as, they're not as human. They're not as good. They're not as clean. They're not as worthy as I am because I'm in the upper class and the upper caste. And so that kind of prejudice is still here today. Uh, they felt that it was defilement to be with a, a Gentile. It was defilement, as far as they were concerned, to eat with a Gentile, to talk to a Gentile. When they returned from a Gentile city, for whatever reason they were there, they would stop, uh, stop at the gates of the city that they were going to, uh, of, of their city, and they would take off their sandals, and uh, they would knock them together to knock off the Gentile dust. They didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. And uh, they wouldn't eat Gentile foods. They wouldn't eat any food prepared by a Gentile, because it wasn't kosher. And kosher simply means it wasn't according to the Jewish law. Uh, it wasn't according to that at all. They, they wouldn't eat the Gentile foods in any way, shape, or form. Now, this was not just a cultural barrier. This was a brick wall that had been built brick after brick throughout a couple thousand years up to this point, and even, even longer. But it was a wall that God said had to come down. I mean, doesn't the Bible say uh, that uh, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel? I mean, the Bible, why go into all the world? And by the way, most of the people in all the world are Gentiles, aren't we? <laughs> we, we wouldn't be here tonight. Chances are we wouldn't be at this location tonight if something, someone hadn't reached the Gentiles. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you know, this is a familiar verse as well. But ye shall receive power 
After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both, and that word both simply means at the same time, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that includes Gentiles. Aren't you glad that the gospel is for the Gentiles? I mean, if you're not glad, something bad wrong with you. Okay? Because you, can, you have the opportunity to be saved today. You see, if the rest of the world was to ever have a chance of being saved, this wall between the Jews whom God gave the gospel to would have to come down. And it did. And we see it come down in Acts chapter number 10. And you and I, my friend, ought to be very, very thankful that the wall came down. You see, it all started with a searching Gentile soldier. That was Cornelius. There was also involved a soul-winning gospel servant. And that was Peter. And it involved a surprising Gentile salvation. Or should I say Gentiles salvation. I want you to notice with me for a few moments the person of Cornelius. In verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God, and uh, with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. So we know a lot about this man, Cornelius. He was a centurion. That's the first thing that was said. That means that he was the commander of a hundred men in the Roman army. I mean, a, 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 a band of a hundred soldiers, they, they were fearless individuals. They were men of, of, of steady backbone. They were prepared to die for their country. And I would venture to say that Cornelius, being a centurion, the ruler of 100, at least a hundred men, I would venture to say that he kind of paid his dues in some battles. He knew what it was to fight. He knew what it was, perhaps, to watch some of his comrades to die. He knew what it was, uh, knowing that his life was on the line. And uh, so this, this was an important man, as far as the Romans were concerned. In verse 2, we find uh, that uh, God makes it clear that he was more than just a good soldier. He was a very good man. Now, 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 don't, don't get spiritual on me now. I know the Bible says there's none good. The Bible does say that, doesn't it? But you look, and, and by the way, that's by God's standards. But if you look at Cornelius through man's standards, he was a good man. He, he really was. Um, he, the Bible says that he was devout. And that word devout means that he was pious. He was a godly individual. Uh, and, and it points out the fact that a person, now Cornelius, a person can be very moral, of which Cornelius was, and, and, and quite religious, and Cornelius was, but yet still not be saved, which Cornelius was not. He was not saved at all. He was a good man. He was a devout man. And that means that he turned away from paganism. He turned away from idol worship, which was rampant, in the Roman Empire, of which he was a part of, a very integral part of. He hadn't been converted to Judaism yet, 
But it was obvious that he was a step closer to it. You see, many in that culture of that day would worship Aphrodite. Now, if you're familiar with Greek history at all, uh, Aphrodite was the goddess of immorality. I could be more blunt, but I won't. But she was the goddess of immorality, uh, a.k.a. Venus, another name for Aphrodite. They had a temple dedicated to her. They had built just for her worship. And in the worship of Aphrodite, it, it indulged all kinds of perversion, all kinds of licentiousness. It was gross immorality they called worship. And Cornelius now, being raised in that, living in that culture, he had turned his back on all of that. He knew that it was wrong. And the Bible says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was a devout man. He was a good man. He was a godly individual. He was a pious individual. But you know that there perhaps are some here in this auditorium tonight that are worse off than Cornelius because you who have heard the gospel and at this time Cornelius had not but if you're here tonight my friend and you have heard the gospel uh, some may still bow down and worship the same goddess that was being worshipped in that particular day You're farther away from salvation than Cornelius was. And uh, to be quite honest with you, there are those that are involved in that uh, really do not want to be freed from it. Uh, Maybe, perhaps, you profess to be saved. And if you truly are saved, and you are worshiping the same uh, immorality and same uh, um, perversion Uh, that was rampant in those particular days, and you are saved, then like Lot, you are vexing your righteous soul. You are grieving the Holy Spirit that is within you. Would you agree? See? And by the way, my friend, if you're saved, and that's part of your lifestyle, you can say a hearty amen to that. So you worship the God of immorality. You worship that on television. You look for things on television that will arouse you. Uh, you. You look on the internet at things that your eyes should not be gazing upon. You look in public at different individuals and your mind begins to wonder. And your thought life is somewhat like a meditation, a worship. You spend time in worship of the goddess of immorality. Oh, you're a church member. You attend church. But you know secretly, maybe nobody else knows, but you know. You know the lust of your eyes and the lust of your heart. You understand that. But Cornelius said no to that. He, knew, he, he probably knew all about it. Perhaps at one time he was involved in it. But somewhere along the line he turned his back on it. And he was aware of the fact that it was just downright Wrong. Another pagan religion of those days was the worship of the goddess Diana. And they had built a, a temple of, uh, to Diana, for Diana, for the worship of Diana in the city of Ephesus. 
And it was a massive temple, and it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And there were silversmiths that were employed by the temple that would make uh, little idols of Diana and made a lot of money doing it. And it brought in a lot of money in the coffers. But God said not to worship any graven image, did He not? He certainly said that. And Cornelius knew that, and he believed that. You see, Cornelius was a devout man. And some here today, again, I will say, that are further from salvation than Cornelius. Oh, you may not worship statues, and, uh, uh, but you prefer to worship pictures. Pictures of presidents. I like presidents. You know, uh, some, like, some like the picture of George Washington. Some like the picture of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, Andrew Jackson. Some like the picture of uh, Ulysses S. Grant. But you know the most favorite is Benjamin Franklin. How many know what I'm talking about? Ah, uh, yes, okay, we know what we're talking about. And uh, some uh, will, will, will worship not statues, they'll worship money. By the way, those pictures, those presidents are on the, on the different bills that we have. Now, you say, I don't worship money, preacher. I do not worship money. Okay, that's fine. That's great. There are those that do. Now, here's how you can tell if you worship money or not. You say, well, I don't even have to listen to this because I don't worship money. Well, humor me. And just listen to this if you would. Uh, Here's how you can tell if you worship money. You don't mind lying to get more of it. You don't mind cheating to get a little bit more money. You don't mind gambling to get more of it. You don't mind spending it frivolously. I mean, you just got to shop. You've got to spend more. You've got to have a little bit more uh, to get a little bit more of what you want. Uh, You don't mind spending money you don't have. You say, how in the world do you do that? I'd venture to say majority of everybody in this room probably has a piece of plastic in their billfold or their purse. Anybody have any plastic in your purse or your billfold? Nobody? Oh, here we go. (laughs) Out of the mouth of babes. I love it, don't you? Out of the mouth of babes. All right. You don't, you don't, hey, here's another way you can tell if you, if you uh, worship money. You don't mind spending God's money. You don't mind spending His money. You, you'd rather hoard your money with the intent of spending it upon yourself rather than being a blessing to somebody else. Hey, we here in America, there's a lot of worshiping of Aphrodite today. And there's a lot of worship of other things as well today, within and without the church. You see, a God is something that you give priority to, and many of us have our financial priorities all out of whack. And we spend God's tithe on a truck, or a car, or on a house that we can't afford or we'll, pay, we'll spend God's money on past financial mistakes that we have made, on uh, medical expenses. And then we wonder why we can't ever get ahead. Listen, my friend, our tithe is not bribing God. Our tithe is an expression of our love for God. 
there's a great deal of difference. You see, we, we, we get behind on our giving to the Lord and His work when we're away on vacation. Because, hey, we're on vacation. We deserve a vacation. And by the way, I'm all for it. I think everybody ought to take a vacation. We have unexpected bills. And we never seem to make it up. And uh, we never make it up to the God that we say that we are worshiping. Folks, listen. Don't get me wrong, please. God doesn't mind that we have nice things. He he provides for us. He, he blesses us as long as we don't put those things ahead of Him. Say, as, as long, keep things in the proper perspective. God's number one. Not number two or three or four. He's number one. Luke chapter 16 verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, another word for mammon is money. You can't do it. You cannot serve both of them at the same time. But Cornelius was a devout man. He turned away from money. He turned away from idols. He turned away from paganism. He turned away from pleasure being the number one in his life. He was a good, moral man, a good, religious man. He was an unsaved man. As nice and as good as we want. Did you ever hear somebody say, well, you know, so-and-so, buddy, if anybody was saved, it was him. He was such a good man. And I'm not saying that he wasn't. Okay. According to man's standards. I know some people like that, and so do you. And so do you, see. He wasn't saved. He was a good man. He was a God-fearing man. Look at verse number 2. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house. You know, Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you realize it's a good thing to fear God? It really is. It's a, it'll be good for you. See, you, you can't be saved unless you can at least have a healthy fear of God, a, a holy respect for God, honoring Him. Not because, you know, He's up in heaven playing whack-a-mole. Every time you get out of line, He's going to beat you over the head. That's not what our God is doing. But He deserves our reverence. He deserves our worship. He deserves our, our, um, our reverence for Him. He's God. He's not just the he's not the man upstairs. Okay? He's not our our buddy. He's our God. Man, he created everything. That's why I am amazed, utterly amazed. When the gospel is preached, when the word of God is taught and preached, and in a church service, when Almighty God of the universe, the creator of all, will come down and prick the heart of an individual. And when he, he speaks to me, I think to myself, Are you sure you got the right one? Me? The creator of everything. He singles me out. He singles you out. Think about that. Think how special that is. Think how important whatever it is that God's speaking to you about in a service. or, Or when you're having your devotions. Or if you're driving down the street and God speaks to you. Think how... Think how wonderful that is. 
that He spoke to you. How special you are. When He speaks to you, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how smart you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. It doesn't matter. If God speaks to you, my friend, think about how great that is that He chose you to speak to. Oh, He had a fear. You know, in our world today, no fear is the model. Uh, Even today, the religious world has no reverence. They have no awe for Almighty God. His name is spoken in vain because people don't fear Him. Honestly, they don't fear Him. Uh, I think many folks in here can remember a time when lost people had more respect for the name of God than many so-called Christians do. Folks, I'm telling you, He has a holy name. He's a holy God. He has a holy name. We need to be careful how we use the name of the Lord. Not just in jest. Not not just joking around. I hear it so often. Oh my. They're talking about our God. We We hear God's name being used in vain. In so, so many ways because people just don't fear him. Hebrews um, chapter, four, uh, chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You see, immorality runs rampant because people don't fear God. People don't fear God. And that's why immorality is so... Listen, if you have an honest, holy fear of God, you're going to think twice, or you won't even have to think twice about being immoral. And and if you have a holy fear of God, if you are um, uh, thinking at all immoral thoughts, my friend, you're convicted right now. You don't have to hear a message on it. You don't have to read a verse of Scripture on it. If you're saved, God's going to convict you right now because of your fear of Him. People don't believe it, see. They think of God like some uh, old man up in heaven with a long white beard and a rocking chair just kind of winking at us and smiling. That's not God. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A fearful thing. Well, I thought God was love. Isn't, isn't, don't we have a loving God? Of course He does. We do. I mean, the Bible says God so loved the world. That's why He sent His Son to die on the cross. But my friend, if you reject His offer of love, you're going to soon see another side of God, and that's God the judge. You'll see His anger. You'll see His wrath. You'll see His chastisement against sin that is deserved on our part. Psalm 7 and verse 11 says, God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Proverbs 20, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 2 and verse 22, but the wicked shall be cut off from the earth and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. My friend, you can stand against God, but you can't stand long against God Almighty. You see, the point is Cornelius, one man, one man understood this. He feared God. The Bible says he feared God, but he wasn't saved. I mean, he's a pretty good guy, but he wasn't saved. Look at verse 2 again. 
a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. He was a generous man, wasn't he? He gave to charity, much like America does. By the way, we're going to be bombarded by individuals, by certain organizations that are going to need help for the people down in Florida. And I think God's people ought to help the people down in Florida. We don't see hurricanes up here. We're going to get some rain up here. We might get a lot of rain. But we're not going to get anything like what those folks got down there. You know. Uh, you say, well, they, they got the money. They got the boats. That's not the issue. The, the issue is that many of them are suffering right now. Many of them lost their lives. I don't know how many, but there, there are people down there grieving because there are people across the, the country that are grieving because they've lost loved ones. And Cornelius, I think Cornelius would have given. Maybe he gave to other cities as well. He was a generous man, see. And he was, he, he was but, he, but he wasn't saved. Folks, you can be generous, and, and I think we ought to be generous, but you can't buy your way into heaven. And, and by the way, you, you don't tithe to bribe God. <laughs> you, you don't tithe in order to think that's good enough to get you into heaven. And I would basically just say this. Don't start tithing for any other reason than obedience to God's command. Trusting His promise. Don't, don't tithe for any other reason. If you don't love God enough to do what He says then you don't love God enough. That's, it's that simple. It's, it's that simple. He was a generous man. He was a praying man. You know what it says? It said, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Early on in my ministry, I used to say that God doesn't hear the prayers of lost people. But I was wrong. He does. Now, he's not obligated to answer them, but he hears them. And I'll show you. Look at verse 3. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. God knew he was a praying man. God knew that he was a generous man. See? But yet he wasn't saved. And I'll show you in the scripture the fact that he was not saved as fine of a man as he was. But I would encourage you, don't ever use answered prayers as proof of your salvation. Don't say, well, I know that I'm saved because I've had prayers answered. It may be that God did answer your prayer just to demonstrate to you that he's real. That he's there. And that if you ever realize you need to be born again and ask him to save you, he'll answer that prayer too. He'll answer that prayer every single time. You see, God took uh, note of these facts that Cornelius was good. And God took note that he was giving. And God took note that he was praying. And God took note that he feared him. And that he was seeking him. But my friend, let's be crystal clear. None of that in Cornelius' life could save him. And there are some people out there, many thousands of 
people, I would imagine millions of people that are out in our country, in this world, that are just like Cornelius, but they're not saved just like Cornelius. They've got to hear the gospel or they're not going to get saved at all. See, in spite of all that, in spite of his devotion, in spite of his generosity, in spite of his respect for God, in, in spite of the fact that he respected his country, Cornelius was not saved. Well, how do you know he wasn't saved? Well, turn over, if you would, maybe a page or two to Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. In verse number 11, it says, And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. So this is Peter saying, this is what I did. Verse 13, And he showed us, he's in the house of Cornelius now, and he showed us how he had, been, how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? How do we know Cornelius wasn't saved? Because the angel said, and Cornelius relayed this to Peter. This is what the angel said. I need to send for you so me and my house can be saved. So even though Cornelius was a fine man, someone that everybody in here I'm sure would like to be associated with, he was still a lost man. And God told Peter to go tell this man how to be saved. God told one man. And we can see, my friend, the power of one. One man. To do what? To go and give the gospel to who? One man. Now, you know, I don't know if Cornelius ever sent anybody to win somebody to Christ. I don't know if Cornelius ever won anybody to Christ. I don't know if he would ever, ever started preaching. I don't know if he ever left the Roman army. I don't know anything else about Cornelius other than the fact that he was saved because one man did what God told him to do. You see, Cornelius' searching did not save him, but God honored his searching. He sent Peter, who, by the way, he was preparing. The angel was over here speaking to Cornelius. God was dropping dinner down for Peter over here in Joppa. Peter didn't know what was going on in Cornelius, in Corn, or over in, in where Cornelius was, and Cornelius didn't know what was going on in Joppa. But God was working on both ends. Listen, my friend, don't sell God short when He lays it upon your heart to tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ with the gospel. You don't know what God's been doing in the heart of that individual. In that wicked individual. In that lost person that you know is lost. But God lays that upon your heart. Just as he prepared Cornelius to receive Peter, he's prepared that person to receive you.
And just as He's preparing you to go and tell, He's preparing someone for you to go and tell. And my friend, this answers the age-old question about people in other countries who have never heard the gospel and they die. Do they go to hell? The answer is yes, they do. Because neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Bible says yes. You see, we all have a God consciousness. We all do. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. We see evidence of the power of God. We do. Everybody is God conscious. We see the evidence of God Almighty. Everybody in this world has been given enough light to then have the chance to demonstrate to God whether or not they want more light. And then God is obligated if they demonstrate that they want more light. And they're serious about it. And they're sincere. Then God is obligated to send someone to them. You see, when God sees a heart that is searching, He'll send them more light. He will. He'll send them more light. And this is why we're obligated to do our part for our missions program. Because there are people out there that really want to know the truth. But they don't know. They don't know. I talked to an individual here a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I asked him. I just come right out and ask him. Hey, you know, if you were to die today, do you know if you'd go to heaven? He said, yeah, I sure do. He said, look out there. And we look out the window. He said, look out there. How can anybody look out there and say there's not a God? I don't know anything about his background one way or the other. And he proceeded to tell me about Jesus being his Savior and everything. I'm, I'm rejoicing in that. I really was. See? But we need to dedicate our lives to taking the gospel to the remote regions of the world that are not spoiled with the gospel as my friend America is. And America has been spoiled with the gospel. And we're obligated to get the message to them. You know, if you've ever handed out tracts, there's some people they don't want them. In, in, in our, our, our country, in our neighborhood, and wherever we, we do that. There's some people, they don't want your track. But I guarantee you there are people in other nations that if a person has a track or a handful of tracks, they will literally knock that person down and maybe even beat him up to make sure they get one of whatever it is he's passing out. And they don't even know what it is. They just want that piece of paper. 
And, and they, they go into countries, they'll hand out the Gospel of John and, and the book of Romans. And people literally fight to get them. There was one fellow in Africa who had hundreds of these boxes, and uh, he was so excited about doing it. And, and he was out there with a box, and he was handing them out, and the crowd drew, and, and, and man, they just mowed him over and took that box. They hurt his wife. They hurt his kids who were out there. They hurt him. And so he had all these hundreds of boxes left, so he, so he thought, what, what's he going to do? So he thought, okay, he'll take special provisions. He didn't take his kids with him. He took his wife with him, and the two of them, they got beat up again the next day. So what he would do, the only way he could do it and still be able to do it from day after day, is he would take that box, several boxes, and uh, that was sealed, that were taped and shipping. He would cut the tape. He would open the box up. He would roll up to the side, roll his window down, and throw the box out and go to the next block or wherever it was and throw another box out. And he'd go all over town doing that. And then he'd come back around and all of them were gone. People are hungry to know the truth. I mean, they did. And, and he saw them as he went back. He saw them sitting and they were reading the Gospel of John and the Book of Romans. And it's not like they picked them up this, oh, this, you know, and threw it down, like uh, many Americans will do. We need to go into all the world. And preach the gospel. But we need to understand there are people out there that, that they don't know where to go. They don't know where to look. They don't know what they need. And God's here. And He's sending. He is. He's sending. The problem is those that He's sending sometimes are just not listening. They're more concerned about themselves. They're more concerned about their fears. They're, they're, they're more concerned about what they don't know. But God's sending. He pricks hearts about giving so others can go. They've already surrendered to go. And He pricks those of us that uh, He's blessed financially and we're able to give so they can go. He does that. See. There are three choices that we have. You can choose one, you can choose two, you can choose all three. Everybody, everybody in this room can pray. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You can pray for these folks that are here. You can pray for this brother that's here. You can pray for your missionaries. You can pray. Everybody. You might say, well, I'm not an eloquent prayer. That, that's, that's not the issue. The issue is to pray. And we can pray. We can also give so that others can go. We can go ourselves. Now, you may not be able to go. Chances are you may not be able to go all over the world. But you can go where God sends you. You know, Isaiah said, uh, uh, God said, who, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? What did Isaiah do? Huh? I picture a, maybe a, a second or third grader when the teacher asks a question. You teachers that are here, you ask a question. What do they do? Ooh! Ooh! I know! I, I know! I know! And you, they're not allowed to get out of their seat. But they get out of their seat. Because they've got, they want your attention. May I ask you to do that tonight? 
God says, whom shall I send? Who's going to go for us? God's people in their hearts ought to be going, Hear my Lord. Hear my, send me. Now he may or he may not. But are you willing to be used of God to what he wants? There's some Christians are so afraid to volunteer to God that they don't do anything. They're not doing anything to propagate the church. They're not doing anything to propagate the gospel. They're not doing anything to keep anybody out of hell. And my friend, just coming to church doesn't cut it. it it's, it's good for you. It'll strengthen you. And there will come a point to where God will use you to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. We can't all go to Spain, and we can't all go to Italy, and can't all go to Peru or Cambodia or Vietnam or Korea or Australia or New Zealand or Russia or, or Albania. We can't all go there, but some can. God knows exactly who He needs and who He wants and who He's calling. We can all go to those who are searching that are seated right next to us at work. Or to those that are searching that live right next door to us in our neighborhoods. I don't know where all the Corneliuses are, but God does. And he came to Peter. He said, Peter, you're going to have some men knock on your door. I want you to go with them. And he did. He just did what God told him to do. And there was a Cornelius on the other end of that. God's working in other countries. He may not send down a, a, a sheet and fix dinner for you. But he may speak to your heart and say, I want you to go here because there's a Cornelius there. It may not be to another country. But he'll show you because there's somebody out there searching there's somebody out there that wants to know. You see, he didn't send a priest. He didn't send a Pharisee. He didn't send a Sadducee. He sent a Christian. He sent Peter. See? And don't you know, Cornelius got saved. A good man. God still saves good men. And God still saves wicked men. See, it's the power of God unto salvation. Again, Cornelius' searching did not save him, but God honored his searching by sending him more light. In fact, God dispatched an angel to Cornelius, didn't he? Look at verse number 5 of Acts chapter 10. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. There's some listening here tonight. And my friend, you are seeking God's love. In fact, you're, you're seeking Him so much that He made sure you heard this message tonight. Not necessarily me, but you heard this message tonight. And you're seeking. You're, you're seeking. 
And you want to know that God loves you, and I'm here to tell you that God does love you so much that He's made sure that you heard this message tonight. He's sending you the light that you're looking for. The question now is, will you receive it? Will you receive it? Maybe you assume that you were saved because of good works. Maybe because of good intentions. Or, or just because you, you have a good heart. But maybe tonight you realize that you've never crossed the threshold of salvation. You realize that you can't save yourself. That only Jesus can save you. You may very well be a good man or a good woman, a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman, a generous person, a praying person, a devout person, but you know you're lost. I want to invite you tonight to come and trust Christ. Christian, may I invite you to say, ooh, 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 here I am. God, I'm volunteering. Or are we going to be so afraid and let somebody else and hope that somebody else and we can duck and lower our heads and think that God doesn't see us when we do that. Come to Christ tonight and be saved if you're not saved. Come to Christ tonight and just say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm scared to death, but God, I know that you know best. And I'll listen, and I'll obey whatever it is. I'm not saying he's going to tell you tonight. I'm not saying that at all. But what he wants is he wants you to be willing. And if you're willing, he'll let you know the right time. He'll let you know the right place. He'll give you exactly, because he's preparing you for that. It may be soon. It may not. But if you'll just say, here, my Lord, send me. You're on the path of missions. Yeah, we need to take care of those out there. And we need to take care of our own. And just as they were prepared to go to those who were seeking, he's still preparing here to go to those that are seeking. Whether it's across town, whether it's across the street, or whether it's across the nation, God knows who he needs and where he needs us.